Blog Talk Radio. And welcome to Let's Talk TV Live. I'm your host, Barbara Barnett. I'm co-executive editor of Blog Critics Magazine. Blogcritics.org is where you'll find us, as well as the senior TV and film editor. I'm also proprietress of Let's Talk TV at letstalktv.barbabarnett.com. Tonight we have a great show planned which may run a little over time, so I've actually scheduled it for an extra 15-minute time slot this evening, just in case we do. My first guest tonight will be science fiction TV writer Mark Secree. Mark has written for such sci-fi classics as Star Trek The Next Generation, Babylon 5, and Sliders, and he is also the guru of all things Twilight Zone, that as is in Rod Serling's Twilight Zone and not Twilight as in Vampires. Um, and he'll be talking tonight about his new project, Space Command. And then at the 30-minute mark, we'll be joined by Jesse Schramm, who stars as Christine Kendall on ABC's Last Resort. As many of you have heard, Last Resort has not been renewed for its back nine of episodes and will end its run after episode 13 airs later this winter. There are already rumblings around of the Save Last Resort movement out there, and we'll hear more about that as well later in the show. A couple of announcements. Um, I will be airing several specials over the next several weeks, uh, previously taped interviews I've done with directors, writers, and actors that I wanted to share with you, um, interviews I've done before Let's Talk TV Live went on the air. So they won't be live, but and will be in addition to my regular program, which airs as usual at 8 p.m. Central Time here on Blog Talk Radio. Also, big, big news for us, Let's Talk TV has launched an app which is now available free of charge on iTunes, and there's an app for iPad, and there's an, I, there's an app for iPhone, as well as the app for Android devices as well. And the Android device um, app will, is available on play.google.com, and the iPad and iPhone apps are available at the iTunes store. It's a great app. It's free and even has a player embedded to listen to the archives of Let's Talk TV Live and watch video interviews I've done, look at photographs I've taken, uh, especially at Comic-Con this past summer, and lots more. Uh, if you want to become a sponsor of Let's Talk TV Live, even though we don't have any sponsors now, we are going to start taking sponsors. So go to letstalktv.barbabarnett.com, leave a message, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. I also want to put in a very quick plug for an innovative college radio station that's going to be going live in January. They have their site up, and they do some not live streaming at this point, but they do some great independent experimental music. It's called Pizza FM, and you can find them at pizzafm.org. They are based out of the University of Illinois at Champaign-Urbana, or Urbana-Champaign, I should say, and they are presently finishing up an Indiegogo uh, Kickstarter-type program and they are only uh, about $500 from their goal. They've gotten lots of funding and sponsors, and it's a great experimental program, experimental, sorry, experimental radio station. So that's pizzafm.org. Please at least check them out. If not, donate. 
something to their cause. And now, without further ado, I'd like to introduce Mark Secree, and I'm going to get him out of the green room. Mark, are you with me? Yes, I am, Barbara. Glad to be here. Great. Glad to have you on. Your assistant phoned me just a little while ago. She says, is Mark there? And I said, he's here. <laughs> so welcome, welcome. Um, so we, we had a chance to talk last week a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yes, we did. And you were telling me about your great Space Command project. So in case people haven't read the article, please do tell. Sure, you bet. Uh, you know, as you mentioned at the introduction, you know, I've done a ton of science fiction television and always for the studios and the networks. And recently, you know, I mentor a lot of people in Hollywood, and uh, I thought it'd be very interesting to see if I could start a Kickstarter campaign and raise money to make a series of uh, Space Command features. And so we raised two hundred twenty-one thousand dollars on Kickstarter, and I've brought aboard a lot of my friends from you know, Star Trek: Next Generation and Deep Space Nine and Babylon Five, and so on and so forth. And it's going to be a big series. We're, right now I'm writing four features back-to-back, -back, but it essentially features, uh, it, it's almost like a, the first season of a TV show. And what was of great interest to me was, you know, I grew up with Star Trek and Outer Limits and Twilight Zone, the, the original versions of those shows. And, and also I was reading Arthur C. Clarke and Heinlein and Bradbury, and there was sort of this very hopeful vision of the future. And, uh, and I thought, well, we really don't have that kind of science fiction uh, around much anymore. And I thought it would be great to do, do that, to basically create a, a, a big canvas about mankind going out into the solar system, then out to the stars, and, and basically following two families as our viewpoint characters as we have this amazing adventure. And uh, so that's what I've been working on, and it's been just an amazing, amazing uh, journey. Great. So these are feature length, these, these four movies are feature length? Yes. Yeah, it is. It's it's four features to start, and and the plan is to continue, and uh, but we'll but I'm writing the first four back to back. I've finished the first script. I'm writing the second one now. I know what the third and fourth are. We're also planning a web series and novels and all sorts of stuff. It's a big it's a big big uh, canvas, definitely. So it will be a really a, a real franchise. Yes, very much so. And and you know having having grown up with such great shows as Star Trek. And, and having written for so many franchise shows, you know, Deep Space Nine and Spiders and all the shows you mentioned and many others, uh, it's, uh, you know, I've really studied at, at close hand uh, what creates the science fiction universe. And, uh, and many of my friends have, have created those shows, uh, you know, Rock Neil Bannon with Farscape and Now Defiance and Joe Straczynski and, and on and on. I mean, Ron Moore, I mean, I, you know, Brandon Bragg, I, we, we all know each other. And so I've been able to observe it very close hand um, how this uh, this works. It's sort of what I've been in training to do since I was about you know 10 years old, essentially. I, I read the making of Star Trek when I was 13 years old, and uh, I think that's really when I first thought of uh, of you know setting my my life toward this purpose. So you have built your own world in which to play. Yes, very much so. I'm building my own universe, and uh, and it, it's very fun. It's it's, it's funny because uh, my producing partner is a is a producer director named Neil Johnson, and he makes science fiction films. And we, he's actually shooting two films back-to-back -back right now, the Starship and Starship 2. And so what I was spending my day doing was I was actually in his film. I was made up as a, as a, uh, a pilot of a Starship. And uh, so I was in this big outfit with this, you know, this, you know, all this stuff. And I was sitting at the controls of this big spaceship. It was a great spaceship set. So uh, I'm, I'm sure I'll be posting those images on my Facebook page, you know, uh, later, later tonight. But... Uh, but then it's, 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 it, I still get enormous thrills, uh, thrill when I uh, when I go on a Starship set, uh, whether it's the Enterprise or Babylon Five or any of these you know these shows. It's just uh, it always gets the pulse pounding. 
So, and you, so you mentioned these great shifts, and usually the, the the highlight of any of those shifts, whether it's Star Trek or Star Wars, um, in the Millennium Falcon, which had a very tiny bridge, obviously because it wasn't really yeah. a bridge, um, or in Stargate uh, Universe, which has a glorious, very kind of uh, steampunk look to it. What's what does your bridge look like? What does your space? What does the spaceship look like? It's going, you know, well, well, with the, the, the main character, the, it's the Kemmer family, basically. It's four generations of the Kemmer family. And uh, the, the first script deals with Matt Kemmer, and he's the captain of the Paladin, which is a, a, a ship of, of space command. And it's going to be a very cool-looking ship. It sort of harkens back to the design aesthetic of the 50s, so it's definitely going to be sort of a bullet, bullet-nosed spaceship. And, uh, but it will also have design, a design aesthetic that's modern as well. So it's going to have a slight 1950s feel, in the design, as, as will a lot of our show, but also we're looking forward as well. So Ian McCaig, who designed Darth Maul and Queen Amidala, one of the lead Star, Star Wars designers, and Dave Dorman, who's another Star Wars artist, they're aboard. We have a number of other top, top illustrators and designers who are working on, a, on our project. And uh, so, so, that's, so it's going to be a very streamlined, cool-looking cool looking, looking ship. But there's a, a tremendous number of design elements on the show. There's alien planets and androids and robots and you name it. I mean, it's going to be really cool. So because it takes place over a period of, of a couple hundred years, yeah. uh, yeah. when you and I were talking, the, the first ship, the, chronologically the first ship, is not a faster-than-light ship. It doesn't have an FTL right. drive. So how does it? how is that powered and how does it get around? Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. The, the early part of our chronology takes place just when we're going out into our solar system. Where our ships are powered by fusion drive. Uh, we don't have faster than light. And so, so this, the, this, the ships of the line and space command are going to have one look. And then as we jump you know, forward and there's you know, an acceleration of the technology and we do develop faster than light drive, it'll be a similar looking ship, but, but sort of like the difference between you know, a... Uh, you know, a 1950s T-Bird and, and, you know, the recent reboot they did or, or, or you know, a Porsche or a Ferrari as these, as these cars develop. It'll be a similar, uh, similar thing. And, uh, you know, so we're having those conversations now. We're, we're looking at those designs now. And uh, so it's, it's, it's very fun because um, everything is of a similar look, but also it's an extremely varied um, universe. And so, and, and, and one element, well, so there's also these sort of smugglers and there's sort of a hole in the wall you know, hide, hide out, and those people are going to be much more. You know, they're, they're throwing things together, and, and and you know, it's whatever they can steal or, or or rebuild or whatever. And so, so not everything's going to be shiny and new, just like in our world it isn't. And uh, but uh, so there'll be a lot of variation as well. And um, you know, my my background is also in, in art. My degree is in painting, sculpture, and graphic arts. I was a visual artist before I was a writer, way back when I was a teenager. And my degree is in you know, is a, I have a bachelor's in that. So. Uh, so I really love working with visual artists, and uh, and that's that's part of the fun for me. A lot of the fun. Great. Um, so who's in the project? You were telling me some of the people who've been cast, and yeah. can you uh, yeah. talk about that? Of, of course, it's a dream team. I mean, it's so much fun uh, because I've reached out to a lot of my friends. So, for instance, Armin Shimmerman, who played Quark in Deep Space Nine and The Pencil and Buffy, is aboard. And uh, Robert Picardo, who played uh, the holographic Doctor in Voyager, and Ethan Phillips, who played Neelix in Voyager, and Mira Furlan, with whom I worked on Babylon 5. She was Delenn. More recently, she's been Danielle in Lost. And Sybil Danning, who was in a lot of great films like Battle Beyond the Stars, she served this very iconic figure. Uh, 
and uh, even my friend George Nori, who's, who's the host of Coast to Coast, you know, I go on Coast to Coast every few months. It's a radio show, and I, I invited George to be aboard. And Doug Jones, who played Pan, Pan's Labyrinth and uh, Abe Sapien and Hellboy and Silver Surfer, he's in it as well. And uh, it's basically everyone I'm reaching out to has said yes. Dean Haglund of the X-Files is, is going to be in, in, in Space Command. So... Uh, no one, no one has said no to me yet, which is a, a wonderful feeling. And, and as I sent them the series Bible and scripts, uh, it was very fun because I sat down with Mira Furlan, uh, you know, because I very much wanted to work with her again. And I said to her, I don't know what role you'll be playing, but I can promise you it will be great. You know, it'll, it'll have a lot of dimension. It won't be defined by a man. It'll be, you know, a character of, of great intellect and passion and, and emotional power. And she said, I'm in. And I said, well, should I just say that we're in conversations? She said, no, no, you can publicize it. I'm aboard. Well, that's great trust. And and I'm having her play uh, an archaeologist uh, who uh, she's uh, from, you know, uh, Croatia. And so when she's with her daughter, they're speaking Serbo-Croatian, even though they're out in space. When they talk to other people, they're speaking English. So we'll have foreign languages in the show and we'll have uh, religions. One, uh, Bob Picardo plays a Muslim. And, and it's not a character where the fact he's a Muslim is what defines him. It's simply an aspect of his spirituality and his and his humanity. So, uh, so I'm you know I'm very interested in presenting an extremely wide uh, tapestry, a, a very you know extremely varied characters. And uh, and so it's you know I'm having a great time with this. And and, it, and and I'm very collaborative with my actors and with my designers as well. So I'm friends with Ian McKay, who's designing the characters. Uh, you know, I said, well, you know, you can sit down with the actors, you can talk about the characters, and, and then so they talk to each other, and then they might come up with a backstory that I like that I'll then work into the script. And this is a kind of give and take that normally actors and designers don't have. They, uh, you know, a designer almost never gets to talk with the actors, and, you know, the actors aren't, aren't in this early phase of it, and where I, t- I tend to be very collaborative. And so, um, because I've, you know, I've sold over 100 scripts, I have hundreds of hours of produced credits uh, on network, and so I'm not threatened uh, in ways that perhaps more insecure souls would be. And so I like that give and take, and I like that dialogue. And uh, and Christina Moses, with whom I worked, I did a, a Star Trek episode of Star Trek New Voyages uh, with George Takei. It was an episode called World Enough in Time, a Star Trek episode that was nominated for the Hugo Nebula. And Christina Moses played Sulu's daughter, Alana, and uh, she's a, an amazing actress. And so she's going to be play, playing Armin Shimmerman's daughter in, in this. And uh, it's just so much fun to have... Um, you know these these wonderful actors working together, and we and one of the things I did, which was again very fun, is because this is crowdfunded, because we had you know three thousand people give us two hundred thousand dollars, I thought it would be very very fun not just to have them have the the world at large financing this, but also to have actors uh, anywhere in the world auditioning for roles. So I basically said, well, two of our leads, uh, Matt Kemmer and Cadet Bradbury, uh, anyone in the world can download the sides. They could put videos up on YouTube auditioning and then we would boil it down to a, to a smaller number of people and have our backers, our Kickstarter back, backers vote on them. And so we got 7,000 inquiries. We had 1,200 videos for these two roles. Uh, we winnowed it down and we just announced our five finalists for Kemmer and we just had them come on the spaceship set here and uh, we did screen tests with four of, four of the five. And interestingly enough, although it was a male role, uh, a, a female, an actress, uh, auditioned for it and she you know, she placed in the final five, and she's wonderful. And uh, and so we're, you know, so we're going to be finding places for a lot of these actors. Um, you know, whether or not we, you know, we'll definitely cast one as Matt Kemmer, but the ones that don't make Kemmer, we'll find. I think we'll find other roles for them as well. But uh, you know, it's it's just great fun because uh, you know I, I I'm you know I, I think it's wonderful to 
invite the whole world to be part of this and uh, and um, you know create something that the people will really love. And um, you know, this, I mean, this is a dream come true for me, certainly. It sounds like a lot of fun. So, yeah. what are some of the worlds that uh, your families explore? Uh, you've told me about a couple yeah. of them, and yeah. a, a conversation last week. But uh, what are some of the worlds they go to? Well, essentially, you know, the the earlier part. Well, the first, the first. It's interesting. So I, I wrote the four episodes out of order. I wrote. Uh, the first one I wrote, which is the, the working title is Empire, is uh, is set later in the chronology. So you know we're dealing with four generations. It's actually the fourth generation, Matt Kemmer, whereas the one I'm writing now, the second one I'm writing is the, the earliest in the chronology, and that deals with Jack Kemmer, who's the first Kemmer. He's the first captain of the Paladin. So the earlier story takes place, um, you know, on Mars in the asteroid belt. It's in our solar system specifically. It deals with Dorn Nevin, which is this uh, synthetic. He's, sort of, he's a replicant, an android, played by uh, by um, Doug Jones. And it's about uh, sort of them coming to awareness of, uh, you know, the rights that, that everyone has rights. Everyone just deserves to be treated um, with equal compassion and equal humanity. And it's about, the, the, you know, Dorn Nevin, the synthetic, uh, being, you know, demanding his humanity, and it's uh, it's a really cool story, and it's uh, it's where we first kind of know about the Paladin and what it can do, and we start to see the this hopeful vision of the future where our solar system is being colonized, and 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 people are sort of uniting to combat you know all of the all of the dire things that we're that we're prone to, whether it's destroying our own ecosystem or you know having to stand up against what we what we know is wrong, and uh, so it's basically internal and, and external dangers, and uh, but by the time we get to the later part of the chronology, we're traveling in space. We're dealing with alien uh, races, and uh, so the so the one I just completed with with Armin and Christina Moses is much more dealing with, um, you know, retribution and 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 people, you know, having to um, band together against you know um, you know evil <laughs> to not put too fine a point on it. I mean, essentially, what I mean, because it's such a big tapestry, it's it's dealing with. You know, my whole notion is as we go out into space, what I was raised on, you know, Heinlein and Asimov and Arthur C. Clarke and Gene Roddenberry, and even if you look at Rod Sterling, I mean, he was very much a humanist and very much speaking out against the uh, the, um, the evils of his society, the racism and, and, and all of the things that were robbing people of their of their rights. Uh, you know, when when I was growing up, you know, we, we thought, okay, we're going to move out into space. Ray Bradbury was one of my great mentors, uh, sadly missed, and... Uh, you know, and Ray would talk about the, the, his mantra was live forever, and the way he saw that, what he thought meant by that was that we'd go out into space, and the humanity would not just die out on this little planet. Mm-hmm. And and so it's an outward view of of what's possible. I think when we landed on the moon, it showed us that we were greater than we might be. You know, and at the moment we turn inward into pettiness and selfishness and and cruelty and fear. You know, that's when we start to die as a species. And and when we look outward, when we go out into space, when we when you see that, that, that there's other races that we can reach out to, there's other possibility that we can be larger than just this, this animal that's on, on this planet. Um, it, it's a larger vision of ourselves, and it's a better vision of ourselves. And uh, and I embrace that. I, I you know I've been talking to younger people recently, and there's a big um, Stanley Kubrick ex- exhibition here at the County Art Museum in L.A. And and I you know when I when I was a kid and we went and saw 2001, we thought that that was what our future was going to be. We thought yeah. we'd have that space station. We thought we'd we'd be going out into space, manned missions out into space. And uh, and one thing we never assumed, no science fiction writer ever guessed this, was that we would go to the moon and then stop. No one ever ever assumed that. And so um, you know so now so now we have another chance. You know and I want to you know if someone watches Space Command and decides to you know to rally and have us you know go out to Mars and 
have a colony on Mars and, and so forth, that you know, that'll be great. I, I hope I ignite some fires. I, I want to very much so. Sure. Yeah, I was thinking back. It's funny because I have a, an original set of the Edgar Rice Burroughs Mars books. Yes. Wow. With the, it's like my dad was a collector of antiques, and one of wow. them had was this, a complete set with the original uh, drawing sketches in them. And even then, wow. it was like you know that that whole thing was we were going to con- colonize. Yes. Our solar system, and that was just the great hope. But you know, you also raised something really interesting too, and that I've thought about a lot. It not not only in watching, but in my own and reading, but in my own writing as well. The best science fiction really is social commentary. You know, it. it yes. And um, I think that's is that where you're going really is to. Yes. Yes, it is, and and because uh, you know, I I think when when I spoke Barbara, I, mean, I think I mentioned that. You know, the reason I'm making this multi-generational is because I'm very interested in the ripple effect between generations, the fact that you're either living down what your family has done or you're, or you're trying to rise up to the level of what your, your parents or grandparents accomplished, trying to, to move out of the shadow. And, you know, my, my grandfather on my father's side abandoned the family before my father was born. I never met my grandfather, and my dad only saw his father three times in his whole life. Like, I, it was only after I wrote The Twilight Zone Companion that a distant relative contacted me with family tree, and I found out where we were from. And, uh, and I learned that my, my grandfather basically had two careers. He was a professional chef and a professional criminal. And so, you know, so, so I'm, very, I'm very interested in that. And so we're dealing with the Kemmer family and the Sikander family. And, uh, and so it's, it's, it's sort of the ripple effect of that. And, and, and I'm having a lot of fun with it. But yes, I'm dealing very much with social commentary. But it's not, it's not bleak. It's, I, as much as I love what Ron Moore did with Battlestar Galactica, it was a very dark vision, and I don't want to create a dark vision. I, I, you know, my belief is that we'll go out into space, and of course we'll take our, our ills with us. Of course there will be warfare. There will be all the, all the things that we've been prone to for thousands of years, but also you know, there will be wonderful possibilities. There will be um, amazing things to encounter. I feel very certain there's life on other planets, and I'm, I'm sure that out in the, in the larger galaxy there's intelligent life as well. And and I, you know, if, if I if I were infinitely, if infinitely wealthy, I would I would finance, you know, I would speed the clock up on finding those life forms. And 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 because the moment we know that we're not the only life in the universe, we know that that, that there's a bigger picture. Mm-hmm. And I really I really am looking forward to that. But yes, I very much want to comment on a lot of things uh, in this world and and and, and that I've observed, uh, you know, um, you know, because I've I've you know I've certainly seen. Well, what I've, what I've seen is basically that people can either, you know, curl in on themselves and be be afraid, or they can reach out to others with compassion. And the moment you reach out in a compassionate way, I mean, it's fascinating because one of the women uh, who's in the cast of, of Neil's film is a Muslim, and I told her that I was writing a Muslim character who's, you know, not a villain. He's he's heroic, but he's not heroic because he's a Muslim. He's heroic because he's a he's a compassionate man. That's the role that Bob Picardo's going to be playing. And and she was just thrilled. That I was, you know, and I was asking her questions, and I was saying the reason that people often are afraid of Muslims or whatever is because they don't know any personally. They don't know that that in any group that you'll have a lunatic fringe, you'll have people who are violent, but that isn't the, isn't the majority at all. And um, you know, the more we know other kinds of people, the, the less we're afraid of them. And uh, so that's you know that's all for the good. And so yes, I, I'll be writing about a lot of things I care strongly about. Great, great. That sounds great. So when um, do you think that, I know you're going to be shooting in the spring, um, when yes. target for a release? I think, you know, well, we're going to, our plan is to shoot for the first four features back-to-back, as you said, in the spring, and then we'll just determine on, uh, it'll, it'll be how long it takes in post-production. So so definitely, 
we're looking at you know we might it might hopefully within within a year we'll be able to have a, a one of the first film you know ready to go and uh you know but but my whole credo and what I say to my entire team is I'd rather take longer and get it right i'm I'm not in a hurry to get these done i I want to do them well and I want them to be something we'll all be very proud of um when I did the Star Trek episode world enough in time it's it's one of the things I'm proudest of in my entire career and you know and uh and that was a, a solid year of post production because there were 700 effect shots and uh but it it was worth the time it was well worth the time and uh you know and and that's one of the things that when you have less money it isn't my, I'm I'm committed to doing low budget high quality science fiction films and I think that is possible and that is it's just like with anything if you take the care it it doesn't have to be of 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 low quality you just have to bring attention to it and 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 bring your A game, your best work. And the fact that I'm going to be working with these amazing actors means that we're going to create something really wonderful. And uh, so, so I, I say within within a year, maybe a little more, we'll 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 be rocking and rolling. And uh, and it's going to be really. I'm, I'm just I can't wait. I can't wait to start shooting. It's uh, and every morning when I get up at five, I, I get up at five in the morning to write, and the world is very quiet. Thank God at that point. And uh, and I just you know. I just start typing and, and fill fill those pages, and uh, and the universe is coming clear as I write it. And uh, you know, I, I I figured out you know a few weeks ago what Mira Froland's role was going to be, and I emailed her in Yugoslavia or what used to be Yugoslavia, now it's Croatia. And uh, I said, Are you okay with this? What I have in mind? And she and she said, Yes, absolutely. I think it's great. And uh, because she's going to be a very um, an interesting character, very unusual character, and uh, she'll be very long lived, let's say, and. Uh, uh, through some genetic things that have happened to her, and uh, you know, but that means that she'll see people that she loves age and die, because not everyone lives that long, and um, it's going to be, you know, there's going to be a lot of emotional things to play, and I, I learned when I was crawling through Rod Serling's attic when I was writing The Twilight Zone Companion, you know, I, I learned that you set the bar creatively on whatever you do, and Rod set the bar very, very high, and it's very interesting. Rod did a Rod Serling did an interview with Mike Wallace before Twilight Zone debuted. And Mike Wallace was incredibly condescending to him, saying, well, you know, now that you're going to do this half-hour, you know, science fiction show, we assume you've given up on quality. And Rod knew, of course, that uh, that, that that was not the case at all. He was going to revolutionize television. But until he showed them what he had in mind, they didn't know what he was going to do. Because half-hour TV, you know, little dramas weren't weren't held in the steam back then. But he uh, he showed everybody. Oh, he did. And speaking of the Twilight Zone, of course, you're the guru of Twilight Zone. You've you've written the definitive guide to it, and you've yeah. done commentaries on the on the, many of the episodes on the DVD release. So yeah. if someone's yeah. you know listening, and I've got my demographic is pretty broad, so I have a lot of people who may never have seen the Twilight Zone, which is still as relevant today as it was back in the 50s and 60s. Um, what Five episodes would you say um, a newbie to the Twilight Zone should see? Wow, that's a great question. Um, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, which is William Shatner with the gremlin on the wing. Great. Kick the Can, Kick the Can, which is a great episode about old age and, and, and keeping young uh, by George Clayton Johnson. Great episode. My favorite is Walking Distance, which was Rod's favorite as well. It's not a well-known episode, but it's about a, a man who goes back in time to his childhood the small town of his childhood and tries to stay there because he wants to avoid his present life. It's a great episode, beautifully written, beautifully directed, beautifully acted. Um, I'd also suggest um, uh, there's um, a great episode <coughs> with um, uh, Billy Mummy called um, it's, a, it's a Good Life, 
which is an amazing, horrific episode that Rod Serling wrote about a little boy who has infinite power. I think that's just terrific. And, you know, there, there's hour-long episodes. Most people don't know that one season of Twilight was hour-long. They, they did 18 hour-long episodes, and there's a phenomenal hour-long episode called On Thursday We Leave for Home, starring James Whitmore. It was written by Serling, and it's a spectacular piece of writing about a man who um, can't let go of being uh, a leader. When he's basically kept a colony, a lost colony together on an alien planet when they're shipwrecked, and when rescue comes, he cannot let go of having to be their leader. He saved them, but now he can't change, he can't adapt, and it's heartbreaking, and it's just spectacular. But, you know, there, there are 156 episodes of Twilight Zone, and I think almost anywhere you jump in, you're going to be well-served because they're so fabulous. And uh, I did 50 commentaries on the Blu-ray, so if anyone wants to hear me talk for 30 hours straight, you can. But it was I was able to do that because the quality of that show is just so spectacular. Well, great. Well, it's been great having you on, and thanks for stopping by. And good you're luck. You're very welcome. Thanks. Good luck with Space Command. And when it's when it's when you're ready, come on back and and tell us where you are with the project. I'd love to, Barbara. Thanks. I've really enjoyed it. Great. Thanks so much, Mark. Take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. And that's Mark Decree of Space Command, and you can find his site um, at Space Command, I believe it's called SpaceCommandTheMovie.com or just Space Command Movie. I think it's SpaceCommandMovie.com. Um, and right now I have someone in the green room. I had Jesse Schramm in the green room, I think, and she dropped, her call dropped out, but I have someone else here. Now I have nobody else in the green room. Okay. Um, we're going to have Jesse Schramm on. Hopefully she'll call back in. Um, and we're going to talk about Last Resort. Um, as many of you guys know, sadly, Friday, late Friday afternoon, Last Resort found out that it was not coming back for its final nine episodes. It is going to continue through its first 13 and I think, hold on a second, let me see if Jesse is there. Jesse, is there? Hello. Hi. Yes. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Are you in Los Angeles or are you in Hawaii or Vancouver? I just got to Los Angeles, getting ready to go to Vancouver and then back to Hawaii. Oh, my gosh. What a life. Wow. Yes, yes. It's, it's never dull. I don't know the meaning. <laughs> For those of you who do not know, uh, Jesse Schramm, of course, is one of the stars of Last Resort. She plays Christine Kendall, and boy, has your part expanded since we talked. It has definitely gotten interesting and more intense, and it's definitely grown from what for most people thought it was going to be. It is, and I love it. I love where your character is going. I love the strength. And you, when you and I talked, you were sort of teasing me a little bit about, you know, her was like, you know, the, and, and it was right before that episode aired where she just blew up at all of the uh, TV camera people. Yes. Well, it's interesting because throughout throughout the series, and especially for my character, it's it's kind of like you see Christine getting tested throughout all these different moments, and then she she makes the choice to go forward and. And to, to put a definitive moment on it and say absolutely no more and then go forward as opposed to just going with the flow of things. And you keep seeing her making decisions that you, you don't necessarily think that she would make because the audience knows more than she does in most of the cases, like about Paul Wells, the lawyer, played by Jay Hernandez, and 
other things going on and about Sophie and Sam on the island. So there's all these things that the audience knows and they think that Christine is just kind of put in this trap. And it's been really fun hearing the response from everyone of just being like, oh, thank God you're smart. (laughs) It's been fun seeing the reactions. and, And all I can say is that doesn't let up in the sense of Christine really attacks all the different subjects and things that are put in front of her. And now Kylie's in the picture, so they really do... They really do wonders on, on moving forward and, and trying to prove the innocence and get back her life. Yeah, I, it's just great. When she when she said that she knew all about Paul, it was like, okay, excellent. Yes. <laughs> well, when I first read that, I, I had to reread the scenes because I go, okay, well, I remember them telling me that, you know, the – the audience is going to know it, and then they're going to find out that you're playing him. And when I read that, I had to go back and see, oh, wow, this is Christine really along the way. These are the these are the situations that made her realize um, that, that Sam is who he says he is and that this guy is clearly is clearly a phony because she believes in what she believes in. So it was, it was interesting reading that in particular, just being like, wow, she is smart. So I have to say I'm, I'm so 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 sorry. I was just when I read in Variety on Friday afternoon oh. that show was not going to get its its last nine of the season. I was like, you know, I'd sort of been holding my breath and reading TV, yes. looking at the ratings and then the the seven you know the seven day ratings and and all of that. And I was like, oh, are they going to keep it on and and um, you know when we talked the last time, of course, that was one of the things we, you know, I was I was concerned about. And uh, right, you know. well, it it was definitely interesting. I, I remember even Sean Sean saying, you know, it's something that you almost kind of expect because of the ratings, but then at the same time, you kind of expect it to be to be given more of a chance because the reviews were so good and the people that watched it loved it. And it's really hard to compete with other channels that have things going on in real time like the debates or the football games or the CMA awards and you know things that people really want to watch in real time so so there's that other aspect of I really thought that it was going to be given a chance on a different time or just to grow a little bit more because it is such an intense show and kind of deserves that so it's um it was a toss-up but what I can say though the bright side of it is I'm kind of looking at it now as a mini series. It doesn't get the back nine, but it still has the season that it has, and the storylines just keep getting bigger. And it's it's so much more solid as time goes on, and that's why it's so disappointing that we didn't get the back nine, is because it just keeps getting better. I have two questions along those lines, and I know that yeah. um, there's a lot of people. In fact, we have somebody who's waiting in the queue, and I'll bring him in in a little while. Um, okay. Miley, who is part of the Save Last Resort. Facebook campaign. Oh, fantastic. So, um, and he wanted to let everyone know um, whether they're listening live or whether they're um, going to listen to the archive. Um, and, and we've been promoting it all day. Um, and he's going to come on and, and talk about that. But I wanted to ask if there's any sense from Sean or any of you guys that, or even people you know, at the network or any network that the show might get picked up maybe on cable, maybe in another venue, maybe persuade. Somewhere else. Well, I personally don't know enough about that side of it to say, yes, they're in conversation with someone else or 
But at the same time, nowadays, because TV is has been changing so much and so much happens, I mean, there is that thing where if there's such an audience appeal and people really attack it, that there is the possibility of something always coming back or continuing or landing somewhere else. So I really think it's... Um, it's out of the passion of the people that have created the show and and the fans as well as to as to if something can be revived. But I I personally don't know that much about that side where I can't be like yeah do this and it'll get picked up and then everyone hates me if it doesn't. <laughs> well, we're not going to the opposition. You know that. Yeah, don't hold it against me. But all I can say is if you rally and you know we we did get nominated for the People's Choice, one of the best new drama series. So it's. It's always kind of funny, you know, the the reviews are fantastic and people would watch it in their own time, but um, we really needed the live viewing and that just didn't happen. Yeah, it's a ter- it was a terrible time slot they gave you and it's, I was... Oh, it was dreadful. I was reading, I think, the past four seasons, that slot on ABC has been death. And this this year was the first time that we've had football on Thursdays at that time as well, so it's something that... To take that into consideration, I don't think was something that um, ABC was necessarily aware of when they put us there as well. Because though our show is for everyone, we had a huge um, male following, so of course they're gonna they're gonna watch their sports and then tune in later for their for their submarine. Sure, and also it's a very it's really a grown up drama. I mean that's that that early evening, and I'm in the. He was on a little, a very early. I know a lot of friends, um, especially in Hawaii, it would come on at 7 o'clock, so you'd really need to be home or watch it when you got home. And a lot of people that I know said, well, the kids are still up, so, you know, I'm not going to watch it while they're sitting there getting ready to go to sleep. Right. Well, here, too, in Chicago, where, you know, it's on at 7 o'clock, it's like, wow, once upon yeah. a time, it's 7 o'clock, and that's appropriate. Even that's a little dark for some, you know, for some kids sometimes. But this is a... This is a grown-up show with grown-up themes and a lot of violence. Yeah. Not- this time slot really, really, I think, um, was, was a major downfall of it, and that's where we were really hoping that possibly we could get the back nine and hopefully switch our time slot and give it a chance. But since we haven't, all I can keep saying is that, you know, the the six episodes that are left to be airing just keep getting better, and they really they really do blow your mind in a lot of different ways. They're they're bigger and they're more expansive, and and I can only speak from my character in the sense of like things get interesting. So, um, is there time to? I don't know if Sean has said this or if this was in the plan, sort of a contingency plan, um, to create the last. I think what six episodes remain to be aired. I'm sure you've shot some of those, but to find a way to draw the series to, if not a conclusion at least a break point that makes sense. Yes, well, you know, we have, I think right now, well, I'm in Los Angeles right now, so I have a little bit of time off, but I know that we're finishing up our um, our 11th episode, and then they're going on to the 12th next week, and that's something that we keep getting page changes and the storyline changes a little bit, and I read our finale episode that came out before we found out that we weren't going to have more, so I actually expect that one to change quite drastically in some ways because it really it really went off with a bang even to be our 13th episode but if it's the finale I really feel like um I really feel like there's going to be a big second to kind of thing 
And yeah, they have to, you know, they have to finish it off, you know, put a finish on it. But maybe if it's picked up somewhere else, or right, with enough of an opening. And right now, that's kind of what it is. It really draws a nice line, but it it leaves it in a way where it can always continue for for each character. It can go in another direction. So I think even if they kept it how it is now, it'll be a big bang. That can always continue or leave it to your imagination, but that will close enough so that viewers won't be so upset and feel cheated. Great. So I want to bring on Lee, and then after we're finished talking with Lee, I want to talk about your other projects, too. So hang on one second. I'm going to bring Lee into the conversation. Great. Hi. Okay. Let's see. Hold on. Hi. Is this Lee? Uh, Yes, it is. Barbara, how are you? I'm very good, Lee. How are you? I'm doing good. And uh, hello, Jesse. Jesse, this is Lee. Lee oh. with this, uh, the the Save Last Resort Facebook page and campaign. Lee, you are fantastic. Thank you so much for caring so much. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying to get rally. Trying to get people to rally to get it. Hopefully, you know, turn the uh, ear catch to the ears of ABC and Sony. Yes. Well, can I ask you a question? Sure. What is what is it about Last Resort that you love so much that that makes you that makes you fight for the show? Just out of my own curiosity. I mean, it, it's just the obvious, uh, the action drama part of it. Um, you know, it's something that looks like it happened in another country, but it kind of defines the realm of reality, I guess, and uh, it, it makes for an interesting plot. Right. Very good. Yes. So can you tell us about the campaign and the Facebook page and, and what fans of the show can do? We get a pretty big listenership in the archive of this, so tell people what they can do. Uh, the, the main thing to do is uh, social media. Um, five, ten years ago, it was all about you know emailing or contacting the network or the picture company, which is fine, and that works, uh, but it's Facebook.com slash renew last resort and um actually daniel lissing i hope i'm pronouncing his last name right and robert yes. patrick has actually retweeted the page okay. uh, and we picked up some listeners from that um or not listeners <laughs> likes from that but um there's a note section on the page to uh numbers email addresses for abc sony um, and we're actually hopefully trying to send a bunch of red watch keys to the network, trying to get people to buy or pick up just a, a cheap red key and send to the network. So it's in, it's in protest to hopefully bring the show back. Oh, that's a great that's a great visual. Uh, and that's a tactic that's been used before on shows, yeah? Uh, I was yes. part of one Not uh, maybe – five, six years ago with a show called Jericho yeah, I uh, that was on CBS and there was tons of peanuts yeah. that was sent to the <laughs> network. I remember that. They're still trying to get the show back on the air. I saw some of the Jericho people at Comic-Con. So. I've heard about that and I remember even with um, there was a basketball show where they sent all the basketballs to um, to the network and they had to put them all in a big room but I've heard about the Jericho Stand up where they just everything was filled with peanuts everywhere. And it actually worked. I believe they only picked it up for a half more season, but it allowed to bring more closure to the uh, storyline. Right, right, right. And it ended quite well. Um, and yeah, so 
So people, you know, keep your eyes posted um, on, give the, give the uh, name of the Facebook page again. It's uh, facebook.com slash renew last resort. And then there's a lot of information on there, a lot of phone numbers um, and ways to contact Sony, ABC, and also the advertisers. The advertisers, listen, email them, thank them for uh, supporting the time slot and tell them that you like their product. Of course, if you do, don't email them and let them know you like your product when you, when you don't. But. Well, and that's, I think, the, the major part, too, is I know that the network really loved our show, which is why it's also surprising, but I think it comes at where the time slot we were and it needing to be in real time. It was um, it was the advertisers that needed to know that they were being watched, and I think that that's some of the reason as to why to why it's not going on further. Right, right. So if talking to the advertisers is going to really help the cause, that would be great, too. I would love to get Daniel or Robert on the show and, you know, have them talk this up, too, and, and really kind of get a, a campaign, do what I can on this show to get the campaign going. So um, maybe I'll see if I can get a hold of them. Or, Jesse, if you'd like to pass that on to them. I will I will most certainly put a little poke into them. That would be awesome. Um, okay, so Lee, thank you very much for stopping by. Stay in the chat room because we're not done talking to Jesse. Okay, thank yes, you for having me. Thank you so much. It was great thank talking you, to you, and thank you. This is such a great surprise to know to know about the the campaign. So thank you for that. And, All right, thank you. And please keep me posted as well, Lee. I will do, Barbara. Thank you. Great, great. So Jesse, I'd like to talk to you as well about you know it's sad. Obviously, Last Resort may not be around for many more episodes, um, does that maybe mean, and I know it's way too early to know this, uh, <laughs> you know what I'm going to ask you. Uh, I do. We might see Cinderella again on uh, Once Upon a Time. Well, you know what, that was the tricky thing is, is I think we talked last time about the fact that Once Upon a Time this season, you know, even in the first season, it has so many characters and, and so many stories to be told, so the characters that come in really need to just support what they're talking about at, at that moment and what they're following. And um, in the second season, it's taken such an interesting turn. And with me being part of Falling Skies and Last Resort, it's a little it's a little hard to even try to dream up Cinderella in an episode. And I don't know. Who knows? You know, nothing nothing is um, is known in the world of Storybrooke and the magic. So so we'll see what happens now that now that you know. Come January, I'll be I'll be on the market. I believe. So okay. So you hear that, Adam and Eddie? <laughs> <laughs> you never know is all I can say and, and we're all all the characters are very much always still walking around and alive and in some realm in Storybrooke and in the fairy tale land. So so we'll see what happens. It's it's a dream to be part of that show, so we'll see. And the show, I mean, has really, as you said, has taken such an interesting turn. So many new worlds have kind of merged with the Storybrooke world. So many, and it's and it's very solid too, which is why it's so interesting to watch. And I have to admit, I have I have a bunch on my DVD queue to to fire up when I get done with traveling. But um, the the episodes that I've watched are very very strong and very much a certain direction and and very solid. So I'm I'm excited to see where the rest of the season goes. Oh, me too, me too. So you're in the middle of filming Falling Skies as well. So tell us where things are with that and, and what fans can expect. 
Ah, uh, yes. Well, I can't really tell you too much about season three, to be completely honest. But it is in production, and I believe that the that their last episode wraps at the end of December, so they'll have a full season to to come around again in the summer. But it's it's very much going, and I've been reading the scripts as they come along, and it's. It's like how the first season and the second season were very different from each other, and I think that this third season as well is going to add another twist and turn off of what we've already, what we've already begun. So it's not like it just picks up like from from the end of second season; it goes ahead on a whole another spin with the base that we already have. Mm-hmm. So how do you keep all these characters straight? You've got you know <laughs> once upon a time these days, but you've got two really distinct characters rattling around there. They are. I get very nervous whenever a script comes in because you just sit there and go, okay, I don't remember how I did this last time. I pray that it comes back to me, but I kind of become like a little hermit. And I actually, I carry around a little bag on set, which Noah Wiley always is like, what's in that secret bag of yours? And I barely ever look in it, but I have a little bag with me on set that just has, especially from Falling Skies, all of the old scripts in it with my character in there, so if I ever feel any kind of doubt, I'll just read over it a little bit and be like, yeah, I'm Karen Nadler. Here we go. So (laughs) my secret to keeping the characters straight is keeping a Trader Joe's bag on my shoulder with all the past scripts in it. So, you know, you've got these, these, like, two characters. One is kind of a, you know, a modern, current, earthbound character. Yes, well, they're, they're both, you know, I've saying that Karen now is relatable is, is a little far-fetched. But yes, the, my last resort character, Christine, is, is the wife of um, the executive officer, and really everything's taken away from her, but that's similar to kind of where Karen from Falling Skies is left off. They're both very much alone with these makeshift families that they have, and they really need to fend for themselves, and they're both women that are very smart and very strong and very vulnerable at the same time. So there's there's that being played, but also a huge difference is in Last Resort, I'm a wife, and I'm around 26, 27 years old, and in Falling Skies, I'm still playing 17, 18. So there's a huge mind trip there as well for me of just being like, okay, now I'm married. No, now I've, now I've only had one boyfriend in my life. So. And you're a teacher, which is, like, completely different, right? Yes, exactly. And, you know, with, with Karen, it's, it's definitely a trippy role to play, and it's been a fun character to kind of create with, with the writers and, and Ramey and Greg Beeman and the different notes from Steven Spielberg have come in and it's it's been a really interesting and fun character to play in this in this sense of a very devoted, loving, um, manipulative, malicious leader that I've that I've kind of become. So mm-hmm. it's um it's been a fun role to create but it's definitely its own and I, I need to carry that Trader Joe's bag with me just for security. <laughs> So is it different work? I mean, obviously, Last Resort is a big network show. Uh, Falling Skies is, um, you know, it's, it's a it's a it's a genre show. I, Last Resort is sort of a genre show too, but not in the same way. Um, right. Difference between playing on a big network show and one that's a little bit more um, independent genre. Yeah, well, the, the, it's, it's been really an interesting switch to go between because um, doing the science fiction, a lot of the time while you're on set, you're very much focused as to where the skitter legs are and where the mech fire is going to be and the lighting and how it makes different things feel. And you're, you're acting um, an altered version of reality, which you do anyway while you're acting, but it's, 
it's in a post-apocalyptic world with things that that we're making real that no one else has ever seen before. So you're really kind of in your old world and, and creating people and beings in a different kind of surrounding. And then in last resort, it's almost a little bit more difficult because it is this extraordinary situation that, that you know, no one you can only relate to to a certain extent if you're in the service or the different things of falling in love or husbands being away. But it's um it's harder because it is closer to home and it's in a different version of right now. It's like the future of now, I guess you can say. So sure. it's um it's harder because it's it's a little bit closer to reality than a sci fi is. So it's it's just it's a very interesting dynamic to play. But like you said, it is also in its own little genre and with the network, there's also that other thing, too, to play of of keeping it happy and keeping it available so that people will like it as well as just give you this demanding story. So you have right. to play the line of being rough and raw as well as a little bit more commercial. Right, right, definitely. So on Falling Sky, is there a lot of green screen work? I know on Once Upon a Time, it's like almost all green screen work. So oh, actually, yes. Well, uh, yeah, when yeah. I was there, it was, it was a lot of blue screen, a lot of, hey, so this is the column of your castle, and this is where your wedding cake will be. So, you know, and then you look on the screen, and it's all there, Avatar style. But, um, but yeah, no, with, with Falling Skies, in my experience, um, for the first and for the first episode of the second season when Noah Wiley and I are on the spaceship, or Tom Mason and I are on the spaceship, um, that was, except for the hallway that we were walking through, all of that was green screen. And we had a woman in um, in a suit that was acting as the overlord, so they got her movement as a puppet. And that was a lot of the green screen that we did. But my experience on Falling Skies, for the most part, it's it's not a lot of green screen. And it is really much just marking your spots, and then the special effects will go in and put a little ball there, and then that's where the alien's head is going to go. So right. it's, um, it's less green screen, and it's more than just marking exactly where it is and you hitting your spot and then just putting it in there. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Stuff. So do you ever get back to the Midwest in your travels? <laughs> oh, man, it's been a bit. I haven't been there for maybe about a year and a half or two years, but um, now that I found out that Last Resort will not be filming in January, I think I'm going to, to take some time off unless Once Upon a Time calls and go back to Chicago for about a month and just see family and see the city and chill out a little bit. But otherwise, I haven't really had the chance to go back there because I've been flying everywhere else. Sure, sure. Jesse and I share the the, uh, the distinction and the joy of being uh, Chicago people, so that's why I had to ask that. How is it there? Is it cold? Um, no, it's actually been really nice. It was like 60 today, and it's going to be, they say it's going to be 60 for Thanksgiving, and then it's going to get cold again. Oh, Matt, see, now I'm expecting a phone call from my dad being like, I'm wearing shorts. I'm on the golf course. Because <laughs> whenever it's 60 or 50, he pulls out the shorts, and I always get a phone call of like, yeah, we're just yeah. on the course right now, and I'm I'm in a scarf in Los Angeles with boots on and a coat. I'm like, it's freezing, and it's only 80 here. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know what? been really nice and it's been sunny it was hazy today but it was actually pretty sunny and and in the 50s and now it's gotten cold because it's dark out but but it's been yeah. good and, and we i expect that we'll be getting plenty of snow this summer too or this winter too um so oh man yes yeah, so i'll be going up to vancouver where it's uh it's all night shoots for falling skies and that's that gets pretty cold so i can only imagine what the cast is like up there in the crew 
it, but it never quite gets as nasty in Vancouver as it gets here, though, from what I... You're right. You know, Chicago's a different Chicago's a different kind of nasty in the sense where it can be really wet or it could be that cold where you step out of your car and your bones freeze. Yeah. So in Vancouver, it's, it doesn't have the lake effect, so that's always nice. But it gets... Um, I, I haven't experienced Chicago in a while, but Vancouver Vancouver gets pretty pretty cold. Pretty cold, yeah. That's, that's yeah, all of you know. You you think about us being aliens out in the forest, and we don't really get to wear a lot of clothes because we're supposed to be superhuman. But <laughs> under that, I literally have five layers of Under Armour on under those pants, and it doesn't do anything. Oh, that yeah. No, I've seen um, behind the scenes shots of, of shows, and there are so many shows that are shot in Vancouver especially yeah. shows, um, but people wearing, you know, really warm clothes all the time and, and shivering, obviously shivering. Um, exactly. Yeah. So I wanted to give the um, – Lee was, was nice enough to give me the link for a petition. There's actually now an official petition for Saving Last Resort, and it is ipetitions.com. Slash petition slash renew last resort. So um, make sure you get over there. And I think the link is on their Facebook page as well, but it's ipetitions.com slash petition slash renew last resort. So I think that people should go over there and sign the petition and get involved if you want last resort to stay around. I will really miss it. Um, yes. It's a it's a rare bird of a show. Um, certainly on networks, um, it's a uh, it's got political overtones, which I love. I love a political thriller. Um, I love reading Robert Ludlum stuff, so I'm I'm really a, a sucker for good political thriller. And usually, you have to go to PBS to get one of those. So it was kind of nice <laughs> on network. Um, but it's it's great drama. There's a wonderful personal drama. Right now, there's a huge mystery with the, um, the the key, the launch key that's gone missing, and who's taken it. There's a traitor aboard the sub among the crew, and um, who that is. And I think the teaser inadvertently may have given that away. Um, <laughs> okay. I need, I need to see that teaser because um, who has the key? Get- I, I definitely gasped when I read it because I did not expect it to be this person. So it's um, Who Has the Key is a huge deal. Next week's episode, um, Big Chicken Dinner, it deals with it deals with subjects that people don't really address on television, and it it deals with women and men in the Navy and bringing people together. And there's definitely the launch key issue. So so next week is huge, and and it keeps continuing. It just keeps getting bigger. Can you tease us just a little bit? You don't have to give it because the spoilers would would really ruin the suspense. But can you give it? Right, a- exactly. It's um this next episode deals with bringing the bringing the natives and uh, the natives of the island together and um and the submarine crew on the island and seeing the the conflict of the ways that they go about things because there is a serious crime that's committed. And you see the forms of punishment that the islanders would have, as well as the morals of the submariners. So you have that aspect. And then back in the Washington world, you have Kylie and Christine working very hard to kind of get the voice out there and trick Paul Wells into letting us all get on a boat to get to Sam. Yeah, I was actually stunned in last week's episode where Chaplain um, Andre Brower, who's 
fantastic. I love watching him in anything. Um, shoots a uh, a guy who you know just shoots him. Yeah. Old blood. I was like, wow, they did that on ABC at seven o'clock. That was weird, but that was like, and you just like, wow, they he did that. And it goes, and it it goes not against his character, but it's very surprising for his character because in everything else you see him trying to be the good, the good father, the papa, the papa rooster that that goes around and is protecting everyone. And um, in this, you know, he's starting to prove a point, and he's starting to do it in ways that. He's speaking the other people's language of, okay, you're going to do that. This is what you're going to get then. Now we're talking. He has a very so, rude side, which explains how he got to be a captain. I mean, you can't be right and be captain of a sub. But in that, you also see the internal struggle of, I'm doing what I have to do, but you see that that's not the decision that he wants. You know, he wants peace, and that, I think, right. is what, what makes him so strong is because there's so many layers. Each character has yeah. so much gray and Andre Brower is just brilliant and captivating and playing all of those levels and having it be a surprise for when he does shoot someone because you see the struggle but you also see the strength in what he does and and um and the script allows him to make those decisions but he himself makes makes them so strong. He's just brilliant. Oh he is and I you know all the other characters too, I mean um Lee mentioned Daniel Lissing and I've really I was surprised. I wasn't expecting to really like his character, but I really like his character. Uh, he plays one of the Navy SEALs, uh, James, I think. Yes, yes, yes. Um, James King. So right. he's, you know, he's the he's the rebel on the island, too cool for school kind of thing. But that that can't stay away from can't stay away from the action or the drama. Right, but there's a real vulnerability in his character, too. It's like, whoa, that was surprising. So um, Very I'll- much so. It, and that's another thing, too, is each each person in our cast has brought something different to the role that you would normally read on paper. And, right. and Daniel has brought a vulnerability to a character that usually just only has leather as skin. And, yep. you know, Robert Patrick brings this beautiful humor to, yes. to his character. And everyone, everyone brings the vulnerability and the strength, which is very surprising because they could be such stereotypical characters, but but because of who is playing them, they're not. Right, and, and Scott Speedman, too, um, his character has just really, he's, you know, it started out, he was drawn as sort of almost a little two-dimensional, but his character is just, there's a lot of depth there, and um, I'm really enjoying seeing all the different layers of his character, everyone's character, your character, it's really... Uh, lovely to see how the scripts have really come along and, and really created quite a lovely world and wonderful characters to populate it. And I'm going to be really sad if it goes. I know. Now that you're talking about it, I'm getting really sad. <laughs> sad. Um, so anyway, I want to thank you for stopping by. Yes, thank you so much for having me. It's been great talking with you last time and this time, and it was so much fun to to speak with Lee too and know that there's there's such a voice out there because I've been meeting people on airplanes and on the street that just have been coming up to me loving the show and and it's nice to know that there is such an online following and and people out there that that want to have a voice and bring us back. That's great. As as I said, if you want to mention uh, to Sean or Daniel or Scott or Robert, you know, to come on the show and, and talk to the fans, um, I would be delighted to have them on and uh, maybe all of them, all of you guys at once. 
Um, yes. <laughs> oh, that would just be a comedy if you had all of us at once. It would be great. That'd be fun. That would be a lot of fun. That's uh, true. There's there's a great setting between everyone, so it's good. Cool. So keep that in mind and let me know. Awesome. Thank you again so much. All right. Take care, Jesse. And yes, happy you too. Happy Thanksgiving. Yes. Happy Thanksgiving. Okay. Take care. Bye bye. Bye. And that was Jesse Schramm of Last Resort and Falling Skies and Once Upon a Time. Um, I've got a couple of closing announcements to make, and then I'm going to sign off for tonight. And I want to thank Lee from the uh, Renew Last Resort um, Facebook and petition to, to please make sure you go over to that Facebook, Renew Last Resorts, Facebook.com uh, slash Renew Last Resort and sign the petition, um, and who knows, who knows, the show might be saved, the show might end up on another on another network, um, any number of things might happen. Uh, once again, I want to invite you to download the Let's Talk TV app for iPad, for iPhone, and for Android devices available at the appropriate app stores, um, and please tell your friends about the show, and also one other reminder that I will be posting over the next several weeks as I have time to edit the interviews. Um, I've done many, many one-on-one interviews with many people in Hollywood, and I will be posting those as um, Let's Talk TV specials, not live, but specials that will be in addition to our regular Monday Night Live broadcast. So I want to thank you all for listening, whether you're listening in the chat room, online, live streaming or listening on the archive download. Um, That's it for tonight. Happy Thanksgiving to you all, and we'll see you next Monday night. Bye.